This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. I'm Lorraine. I'm an alcoholic. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. Thanks, Lorraine. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism and the alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After taking the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops, and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink, and this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who's just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So Lorraine, welcome to the show. Um, Let's learn a little bit more about you. Um, Can I ask how old you are? I am 68 years old. Excellent. And how long have you been sober? Almost a year. Wonderful. And um, family, tell us about your family. Have you got... I have uh, children and grandchildren. Um, My origins are within alcoholism, I suppose. My my birth, the family I grew up with, my birth family, were uh, both alcoholics. My mother drank and my father was a dry drunk. He, Mm -hmm. there was no Alcoholics Anonymous as far as I was aware when Mm. I was growing up. And um, so no help. My my parents, neither of my parents sought any help for their issues with alcohol, but they both definitely had them. And so did the extended family Mm. and my uh, older relatives as well. And the generation that I'm from was also riddled with it. And so it was all around you. All around me. What about siblings? Have you got siblings? I do. And... um, they have had their own issues over mm. the years, yes. It's a family disease. It is. And so you're from Christchurch? I am. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So let's um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, what it was like growing up in a family, you know, with alcohol all around you, and how did that kickstart your drinking? Well, in, in fact, my uh, mother abandoned us when I was about six years old and mm. left us to the care of my father. And uh, so uh, there was no alcohol in our house except in my father's cupboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and alcohol was a bit of a bogey uh, in, in that there were stories told about um, not my mother. My father never spoke of my mother again after she mm. left. But uh, we had relations with whom we had Christmas dinner and who we saw from time to time. And they clearly uh, had major issues with alcohol. One uncle of mine used to carry a, a flagon of beer to every family occasion, which he kept tucked under his arm, and he it was known as Jack's baby. Mm. Um, so there were there were issues uh, within the family. Mm. Uh, yeah, and um, and so you're drinking. You know, when did that start? I was about. 14, and I was visiting a cousin who decided to make mine and my teenage friend's life interesting when we went to visit them for a week by uh, providing us with a drink called Blackcurrant Nip. I don't know if it's even <laughs> available now. It's absolutely disgusting. And uh, it was a matter of... Uh, one drink was one drink too many. Mm. I got absolutely s- drunk as a skunk and was throwing up in their yard, had the most awful hangover the next day, and that was my introduction to drinking too much. And then a few years later, 
I was a member of a, you know, the, my group of friends used to drink to pass out stage regularly every weekend. Mm-hmm. And I was drinking a bottle of uh, Madeira, uh, which is a type of sherry sort of drink, very sweet and sickly, every, um, every we- weekend. And the weekends themselves were quite boozy. There was... Um, a lot of drinking in one of my friends in particular and his family. And we just, you know, spent mm. every weekend drinking. So what did the alcohol do for you, though, prior to the vomiting and the hangovers? <laughs> when you drank, how did it make you feel? I was so sociable and I wasn't naturally sociable. Right. I was naturally quite a shy person, uh, more of a watcher than a joiner in a um, and I felt quite lonely and uh, not understood mm. as a kid. Mm. And that I, quite apart from my rather unusual family circumstances, mm. I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere. Mm. Mm. Uh, my greatest joy was swimming. Uh, and I belonged to swimming clubs and that sort of thing. But that soon went by the board. Um, and... So how alcohol made me feel is that I relaxed. I was able to converse with people without great cringing fears. Mm, And mm. that fear was a pretty constant companion in those days, just a sort of constant feeling of impending doom and inability to communicate with people and inability to... uh, Yeah, to fit in. I just felt lonely. And you touched on consequences uh you know and that your swimming went by the by what were some of the other consequences of of your drinking over the years have been many um over the years i have stopped and started in my uh drinking career um sometimes as a result of what had gone um and sometimes just because i'd found something that I could throw my whole life into wholeheartedly mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. of the consumption of alcohol, the finding of alcohol, the hiding of the bottles, all that stuff that goes along with being a, an alcoholic who's trying to remain mm. undercover as mm. a drunk. In relationships with family, friends? They uh, were, were deeply affected. Um, most of my friends, long-term friends, saw me uh, totally obliterated by alcohol to the point of pretty shameful behaviour. Mm, mm. uh, my career, <clears throat> once I found it, uh, did manage to survive for a few years, stumbled along. Um, but eventually that, uh, I lost that to alcohol too. Yeah. And um, any any run-ins with, with the law... Any consequences of, of that nature? No, I was fortunate enough that that did not happen. I don't know how. Driving the wrong way up a one-way street at 2am, <laughs> um, oh, various other completely stupid behaviours. I was very lucky in that respect. I think now that uh, there was my higher power was looking after me in these circumstances at the time, I just thought it was sheer luck. 
but I think there's more to it than that. There were too many situations where I could have had the axe fall mightily upon me mm. and the mighty axe of the law, but I, it, it didn't. Um, there were arguments in which I got violent. There were um, various scenarios, really, apart mm. from driving like a fiend, um, where I was very fortunate. Mm. And Describe your mental, emotional... Uh, and what we describe in AA as your spiritual state during these these years. <laughs> I was a selfish, egotistical, uh, increasingly introverted, um, uncomfortable in my mind mm. uh, person who needed a drink to be involved in society mm. at all. Mm. Um, I was miserable. Mm. I was miserable, I was lonely, and I was isolated. Mm. And I did that, well, alcohol did that with my help, with a lot of help from me. Mm. Mm. So describe then what we often refer to as your, you know, rock bottom. What did that look like for you, and what brought you into recovery? At the time, I thought um, I hadn't behaved all that badly, really. Um, I had managed to cling on to my career, as I say, by the skin of my teeth. And I had retired. I was visiting family. And uh, what brought me into AA was the fact that I got totally drunk on duty-free alcohol that I'd been sipping of a night um, in the hope that my daughter and her husband and their children wouldn't notice that I was absolutely off my face. Mm. I continued to do this for several nights in a row without incident, really. And then <clears throat> on the night in, that really brought me at my lowest point, I um, drank to excess as normal. I was sharing a room with my granddaughter and she woke in the night and wanted her mother. Um, and I went was going to try and take her to her mother and I couldn't walk a straight line between my bed and hers, which was a distance of about um, a metre and a half. And I thought I was going to end up on the floor, but I didn't. And I was standing when my daughter came through the door and saw me in the state I was in Mm. and said that I was... uh, clearly um, drunk. She was clearly not impressed, to put it mildly, extremely angry, and that I could have fallen on my then two-year-old um, granddaughter, which mm. would have it could have resulted in serious inju- injury to both of us, really. She was taking my, grand- my grandchild out of the room to sleep, in her room for the rest of the night and she talked to me in the morning Mm -hmm. and I felt about an inch and a half high Mm -hmm. and um, I was it was too late and I was too drunk even though my head had cleared immensely with this uh, confrontation I couldn't think about what had happened at that point I managed to go to sleep and in the morning she just simply said to me that I needed to get help 
until I got help. She was not going to allow me to be alone with my grandchildren mm. and that she had spoken to her brothers and they were going to do the same thing mm-hmm. and that uh, she said I could stay with them for the, for the totality of my visit with them and she would help me not to drink while I was there and it just had to stop. Wow, and how did that make you feel? Well, as I say, really, really small um, and ashamed and uh, hard. Yeah, it was tough. And I, I, I realised that I was going to have to work very hard mm. on um, my relationship with her. her. Her relationship with me was very important. As I said, I'd lost my mother to, to alcohol mm. in an early, early age. I hadn't seen her since I was six years old. She mm. died an alcoholic in another city Mm. and what I realised was I was repeating I was going to repeat that pattern unless Mm. I got it together Mm. basically so what led you then to seek help how did that how did that play out was that a meeting or was there I relied heavily upon my daughter and her family she was extremely helpful while I was staying with her and then when I came home um, I started to research various supports that Mm -hmm. could be made available I spoke to my GP Mm -hmm. remaining sober this whole time Mm. but feeling the craving Mm. right there right in my face right um it was very hard. Mm. My family were very supportive, as I say, and my close friends knew mm. that I was um, that I'd stopped drinking because I believed I could have a problem, major problem with alcohol, and um, that I was going to be seeking help for that. And they would appreciate if nobody drank in front of me, mm. if possible. Um, and I made it a rule right then not to have any alcohol in the house. Uh, and eventually that was getting harder and harder um, not to drink. I researched online, as you do, consulted Dr. Google, <laughs> found um, various uh, methods suggested on the interweb and decided that I wasn't wholeheartedly behind these you can do it on your own series I didn't think that counselling or um, seeing any sort of a therapist for what was wrong with my wrong with me was going to help and I was going to need something more specific than that Mm -hmm. and um, so I decided I would go to Alcoholics Anonymous I can't remember how I found out about the group I eventually attended for the first time, which was fairly nearby me. What was that first meeting like? It was very warm and welcoming, and mm. I felt like I'd found these people who spoke the same language mm. as me after talking to people who spoke a foreign language for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and that I could, I felt that I could relax and acknowledge a lot of what had been happening, what I had been doing over the years for the first time. 
So immediately those similarities stood out. As the stories were told, yes. Yeah. Mm. And um, so tell us about what are some of the things you've done since then to ensure or to maintain your sobriety. You're nearly a year mm. sober. It's taken a long time to establish a pattern, a routine that um, that will keep me sober. But what works for me is a attending meetings regularly, mm-hmm. visiting with my meeting with my sponsor regularly, starting work on the twelve steps mm-hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, then looking after the physical side of me as well. I'm mm. doing more fitness work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to be honest, um, saying, pr- praying for the first time in my life since I was about 12, and um, meditating, and all those things have helped. And mm. that's all, and the reading that I've done, of course, as well, uh, the, the big book and the other literature that I've been exposed to has really helped. And so the suggested program of AA is made up of all of those things and following those suggestions is what's worked and working for you. That's right. And I'm the sort of person who, if they had been any more than suggestions, if they had been accompanied by any stronger language than that, (laughs) I'd have said, not for me, and walked out. So that was marvellous. The God on the wall frightened me at first. There's a lot of posters in AA rooms that include the G word. Um, But after talking with my sponsor, after doing lots of reading, after speaking with other alcoholics, uh, I realised that it's not necessary to embrace a God of the type that I was brought up with, Mm. Um, that it was okay just to enjoy the singing of the hymns. I quite like the music, so... Him singing was always a good approach for me to to God and when I was young. And I liked the songs. I didn't necessarily like what was said <laughs> at church. But a God of my understanding, which is the sort of God that um, we've, I found in the big book and in speaking with my sponsor, uh, has helped me enormously. And the idea that AA is a spiritual, an organisation who introduces you to the spiritual side of life Mm. rather than the religious side Mm. of life has really stuck with me. And you've just answered my next question, which was exactly that. You know, we are a spiritual programme, not a religious programme, and that's that's amazing. How would you describe your life today, Lorraine? It is, uh, it's expanded beyond my wildest dreams really it's I'm happier I'm more contented I have the ability now to recognize when I'm becoming stressed to the point where I'm likely to Mm. feel those same old feelings Mm -hmm. when my thoughts start to whirl I have the serenity prayer that I can say I can stop and say the serenity prayer to myself and hand over to God what's as as I understand God to be, what's going on in this great swirl of um, nonsense that sometimes occupies my brain. Um, I can reach out to another 
AA friend or mm-hmm. I can speak to my sponsor. There are various ways that I've found that help to keep me on what I read, and I think it's quite a good expression, keep me on the water wagon. I never won- I wondered why, <laughs> where, I'm, I'm a, I like to look, know what words mean, and I always wondered why people talked about being on the wagon, and I guess it's from the old wagon trains in the uh, <laughs> early America, and there would always have been a water wagon, and that's what I'm on. <laughs> so far, so good, one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, my sponsor is very good at saying yet after I make these any complacent statement <laughs> about what I've done and what mm. I intend to do and what I haven't done. Mm, mm. And uh, she always says yet. <laughs> so one day at a time. Yep. So, Lorraine, what would, you, what would you recommend for someone, you know, for any of our listeners, if they think they may have a a drinking problem, what are some of the things they could ask themselves to help answer that question? Just do you have a desire to drink that is supreme in your needs for getting through a day? Uh, If you have difficulty thinking about getting through the day without uh, without alcohol, then seek help. And um, some of the ways that, you know, they can do that, you've mentioned earlier with, with various resources and, and how lucky we are here in mm. New Zealand and in Canterbury. So, Lorraine, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. You're very welcome. It's lovely to have uh, you here. Thanks, Louise. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember... If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.